This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. The Minutia Man Celebrity Interview is up next. But first, take a listen to this other fine OPI show. This is Minutia Man with Rick and Dave. Minutia Man on the Radio Misfits. Today on this week's Minutia Man, we're talking about Nazi stuff. Oh, and then we're talking we're talking about a cub, because we do that. Oh, we have an interview with a guy. Or a girl. We don't even know. It's Mark Cuban. We're interviewing celebrities. Ooh, it's the Minutia Man Celebrity Interview. We clearly we're all in a great place for this. We're just we're spending like a full minute ripping on Minutia Man. The only reason we even exist, the only reason this whole goddamn network exists, I swear. The best thing this show has going for it right now is that it's on the same network as Minutia Man. And friends. An Opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast. An Opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Minutia Man Celebrity Interview with Rick and Dave. All right, this week's guest uh, covers a topic we haven't really explored yet on this show. He is one of the. Well, I'd say one of America's biggest comic book and pop culture experts. Please welcome to the show. It's Gary Moondog Colabono. How are you? Well, I'm very good. Thanks, Rick. Hi, Dave. Hey, how are you? Did I pronounce it correctly? You did. All right. right. I'm not going to try it again. (laughs) (laughs) It's all right. You got the Moondog part right there. Yeah. Well, so in the seventies, Gary owned this this great comic book store. Uh, was right here in my hometown of Mount Prospect. It's called Moondog Comics, and and kids from all over the area would flock to it. It eventually became like a comic book empire. Twenty one stores, five states. Now I I know it was a business for you, Gary, but I'm guessing you can't run a business like that without being a huge comic book fan yourself. Well, um, I think you're 100% correct. You know, there was, uh, I mean, I've loved comics ever since I was a little kid. In fact, uh, on my uh, on my website, uh, moondogbuyscomics.com, there's a picture of my two brothers and me were on vacation standing outside a uh, cabin. Uh, we're up in Wisconsin, and my older brother has caught a fish and my younger brother alan is looking up at my brother-in-law with his fish and i am holding my copy of action comics 245 that i bought on the way on the way to the cabin it was the first comic book i ever bought with my own money and i was eight years old it was how much is that one worth now well, you know, a, a real nice copy would be worth about four or five hundred bucks. Wow! You know, an average, an average copy fifty dollars, but but a real nice one would be about five hundred. Yeah. And how much is that fish worth right now, Gary? <laughs> Nothing, right? <laughs> yeah, but it, I just love the look at my younger brother's face. You know? <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Give me a comic book any day. No mosquitoes when you're reading a comic book in a condo, right? Uh, That's correct. You know, be, before we get into what brings you back into the spotlight, uh, I teach a design thinking and innovation class, actually, at, at a university, and I love innovations, and I love differences, you know, differences in design. You invented 
the plastic protective comic bag, and you also developed the comic book grading system that still, from what I understand, um, is the system that is still being used today. Talk to us about those two innovations and, um, yeah, talk to us a little bit about that process. Well, you know, I, I, I didn't, quote, invent the comic book bag because, you know, people have been using baggies and saran wrap and, and other things, you know, collectors have been using them for years. But, but and there were always guys selling, you know, plastic bags at some of the 1970s swap meets and things of, of that sort. But you never know what you never knew what you were going to get when you were buying uh, comic bags. And I, I know that sounds silly, but but, you know, you want the comic to fit in the bag. So 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 sometimes you'd buy them and they'd be so narrow you couldn't fit your comic in there. And so it was I'm the guy who standardized all the sizes of comic bags and my brand name comic covers. You know, we sold 800 million of those plastic bags from like 1981 to 1995 when I sold that that business. But, you know, there's modern era comics are narrower than the Silver Age comics, and the Silver Age were narrower than the Golden Age comics, and then you had magazines. So you had to have everything just fit right. And uh, and I was, I said, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and make, th- this is the new standard, and everybody just followed it because, you know, I had the number one brand, so it just made sense. And the grading system? Well, the grading system, again, I didn't develop it per se, you know, there was a team of us, but but we had to simplify the grading for comics. You know, it was it was so subjective. It was so uh, different from dealer to dealer, collector to collector, uh, that we needed somehow to to create a, a an easily workable system. Uh, so what we did is we created this ten point system. And then made it really complex and complicated. <laughs> so we made this simple system, and then decided it was too simple, and 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 now it's now it's uh, become a um, well again it's the standard for for comics, but it's 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 a hard thing to determine if your comic is in near mint to mint condition, or is it just in near mint condition, or is it in just very good condition and that's the hard part that's where an expert has to come in and help it sounds a little bit like the baseball card uh grading system where uh and my my son is a big uh, collector of baseball cards when they get graded you know he thinks oh it's mint uh, and they'll turn it in and they'll find out that it's near mint or you know mm-hmm. it's the same sort of thing now it's, it's, it's very similar to right. that that's correct yeah as uh, as people listen to this interview, you can probably tell that uh, Gary is very comfortable uh, on the air, and uh, there's a good reason for that. When I first started writing a media column back in the 90s, I used to get letters from readers urging me to uh, listen to your radio show, which aired on <laughs> WCBR, Arlington Heights, and was called Moondog's Pop Culture Hour, Radio Hour, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And it wasn't yeah. just about comics. No, no, it wasn't. We had, um, you know, we we tried to do something with movies and or TV uh, and comics uh, every week. You know, it was like, you know, I had this, 
I have these stores, you know, I mean, we're looking at 1993 now and I had six stores and I wanted to expand uh, even more uh, around the country. And, you know, and I said, you know, if I can get on the radio and talk about all this cool stuff that we sell, you know, um, I can get more people, more customers. I can get, you know, know, generate more business and, and expand and into other markets. And I thought radio would be the way to go because there's a radio station in every market. Right. So, you know, it was like, okay, how do I, how do we do this? And so I, I went to a WCBR and, um, you know, they, there was a fellow there, Tim Disa. I, I don't know if that's oh, name. Oh, yeah. I, I know yeah. Tim. Sure. And, you know, he was like a station, I don't know, manager, but he was like a sales guy maybe or, okay. or something too. And, you know, he's an on-air guy. I mean, just a real good guy. And, uh, and, and and I kind of pitched him on it, and he says, "Well, let's see what we can do." And next thing I know is I got a radio show at eleven <laughs> o'clock to noon every Saturday morning, and it was live. And you know, we had no idea how to put on a radio show. So you know, I, I was lucky enough to find a guy, local guy, Kim Howard Johnson. And if and if you ever want to talk about Monty Python, Kim Howard Johnson has written two books on Monty Python, and he's John Cleese's biographer. Oh, I mean, wow. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, he is just a, a brilliant guy who has got the, some of the greatest pipes in, in the world. And so he was also my marketing director. So <laughs> I wow. said, Kismet. Howard, Howard, you're going to get out of the radio and you're going to run this thing. And he just took off with it. And um, uh, and so we would, we had uh, the team of Gary and Howard and, and also Larry Martyr. And we just put this radio show on together with the idea that it'd be comics and all of the radio and TV stuff that we love. So we would have a market report on comics. We would have the most hyped comic book of the week. We would talk about all the stuff that was coming out. Uh, and then all of the shows that were starting to be developed that were kind of like comic book related. Now right. they're everywhere, of course. But, but you know, Lois and Clark was just coming out uh, when our show started. And, uh, and, you know, so you have a Superman show, but it was also running opposite Sequest, which was Steven Spielberg's, you know, like uh, the submarine show, right. if you remember yeah, that one. I do. Visually. You know, so really cool things to talk about. And then we always tried to bring in a vintage thing. You know, we had a honeymooner show. We had, you know, the... Uh, we had uh, the the Superman show, which we had all the three Jimmy Olsons from the old Superman TV show, from Lois and Clark, and from from the uh, Christopher Reeve movies. And you know, we had Bob Hope on, and we had Stan Lee on, uh-huh. and we had you know Steve Martin, uh, excuse me, Steve Allen. I mean, we had we tried to just bring enough entertainment to keep people interested, so that they would you know feel comfortable going into a moondog store and looking for something other than some, you know, $5,000 collector's item. We wanted to sell them a Simpsons t-shirt and, and, um, you know, whatever it would be for their home. We wanted to bring comics and pop culture to, you know, mainstream America. That was the goal. And and those shows are uh, online now, right? Did you put them online somewhere? 
and people you know, listen to? You know, it's funny. Them? I had this box of tapes, and you know, the next thing I know is they're all digitized now, and we're putting them on the website, moondogbuyscomics.com, with, um, you know, we have four available right now we'll and we do a new one every two weeks so week f- uh, next wednesday will be our fifth episode that we'll have up on the on the website uh the mr t one uh, our second show that we had uh mr t was in the uh, in the studio <laughs> live and, and it was mr t and the t force comic had just come out <laughs> and and he was, he was, you know, he's a force of nature. I mean, he's like, you know, Godzilla and King Kong all rolled into one. And he was, he was fantastic. I mean, one of us is some great radio because it was all live too. You know, I mean, it was the other thing, you know, we could, we didn't have a, we didn't even have a drop button like, you know, right. Like radio. <laughs> you know? So, so thankfully the uh, FCC never threw us off the air. You know, um, with the with all these Marvel movies that are out now, um, I mean, they're huge. My kids are just, you know, I can't even keep track of all the man, the Ant-Man and the, you know, whatever man. Uh, but there, I mean, there's so many of them now. Is, and is this is what I assume is definitely jettisoning the, the comic industry back up, right? I mean, or is is this why you're kind of being dragged back into the business or... You know, talk to us a little bit about now, what's going on now. Well, you know, I loved these characters when I was growing up. I mean, the same ones that are just uh, all these, all the kids and adults love today. Iron, you know, it all started with Iron Man. And then, you know, Black Panther and and, uh, Spider-Man movies, X-Men. I mean, all these great characters I grew up with in comics. I mean, we had the cheesy Spider-Man TV show, that kind of stuff. But, you know, the the bad cartoons. But, you know, we this was my golden age when in the 1960s, when all these, you know, comics were, were being published for the first time. Today, these characters are, you know, um, entertaining and making fans, kids, adults today feel the same way about these characters that I did back, you know, 60 years ago. The only problem is, is that they're not using the source material. I mean, you know, kids that are watching the Black Panther movie, for instance, you know, they're, they're seeing something that I saw and they're experiencing something that I experienced in 19, you know, 64. The only thing is, is it's a movie now. And so, you know, it's it's a golden age for these characters for this generation, but the source material unfortunately is just dying off because you know nobody reads comics. You know, it, the buyer of new comic books today is a is a male, you know, probably eighteen to sixty, and you know, kid, there's there's nothing really for kids. I mean, uh, at least not the way it used to be and so it's kind of you know and and the companies that own these characters disney warner they don't care they just want to exploit the intellectual property uh to the maximum and um it wouldn't surprise me to that the comic book the the you know 32 page pamphlet with two staples 
goes away and you're going to have stories that are just available online. Well, let's talk about uh, the holy grail of comic books because uh, you Speaking just... of Monty Python. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Action <laughs> Comics 1 from 1937, the one that birthed Superman. Uh, you just sold that at auction, didn't you? Well, I was... What I sold was one of three copies of the handmade prototype. So so before there was Action Comics number one on the newsstand, the famous image of Superman throwing the the car over his head and the crooks running in uh running away, that image uh was the newsstand edition. But they made three copies prior to that. And they made them to secure the trademark for the title, you know, Action Comics. And so I was fortunate enough in 1986 to buy one of these from the uh, retired president of D.C. at the time. And uh, I also have uh, Superman and Superwoman and Superboy and Supergirl. These are this is the the core of of my comic book collection. And just like so many baby boomers, you know, my wife and I are looking at, you know, kind of downsized and we're looking at things. And, you know, how do we simplify our lives? And, you know, maybe with the market as hot as it is right now, it's a time it was time to sell. So I sold two of, of my comics. I sold the action. Uh, comics Ashcan, uh, the Ashcan is the prototype. I sold the Action Comics and the Action Funnies because they weren't sure when they came out with the title in 1937 if they wanted to call it Action Comics or Action Funnies. So they made prototypes of each, and I sold those. Sold those earlier this month for a quarter of a million dollars. Wow! And, wow! And, but that's why there's MoondogBuysComics.com, because I'm not the only guy with a valuable comic book collection. Uh, there are many, many uh, collectors or families who end up with collections as collectors pass away, who in this day and age need to have an expert tell them what they have so that they don't make a serious mistake when they go to sell their comics. So if you contact me, I'm going to give you a free appraisal, and I'm going to lay out all the options that you have for for your collection. Did you ever spill like coffee or a tab or coke on a really valuable? That's why he made the comic? covers. That's why they have the covers. Because <laughs> yeah, right, right. like my kids, when they were little, they were just ripping shit up left and right. I'm just curious. Did anything? Did you have any disasters in that respect? Well. I never did that, but but when I my first day I was open in Mount Prospect on September sixteenth, nineteen seventy eight, a guy walked in with a a uh, an envelope, and inside was a Superman number one that um, he wanted to show me that he had just purchased from an old little old lady in in, in Pennsylvania, and. There was a big ring right on the middle of that Superman number one where somebody had set a wet glass on. Oh, my God. 
Womp, womp, womp. Wow. I'll never, I'll never forget that. I looked at it and my heart just broke. You know, it was like, oh my God. It's like a, it's like a little kid using the, a Honus Wagner card for the spokes of his <laughs> <their> bike. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Is, is there a comic out there that you, you know, you've never seen or that you've been searching for for years? I mean, is there that elusive comic that you just you know that, that you can't get your hands on is there one or a couple and if, if so which one well um you know because i've been doing this for so long i keep thinking to myself anyway that i've seen everything but every so often something will pop up and i'll go holy cow i didn't ever i never saw that that particular title or that particular cover um, but for the most part, I have seen either held or or, or seen pictures of, of every every comic that's of, of any meaning to, meaningful for me, you know. But but you know, there's a uh, a friend of mine just called me and said that they found a collection in Cleveland uh, where uh, two brothers collected from you know like 1943 to 1950 when they both went into the uh, uh, Korean War. They both, they, they both, one enlisted and one got drafted. So the the, the brother who got drafted, uh, they they made a pact with his with his brother who enlisted to be with him, that they would keep. Um, who, if one of them died, the other one would keep their collection intact and 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 take care of it until they passed away. Well. That's what happened. Uh, one of the brothers got killed in, in the in the war, and then the other one kept his collection intact in 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 in, in perfect condition. And the family he finally passed away, and the family uh, is now selling these comics. And they just started listing them. They're not for sale yet, but they will be shortly. But there's books that are so rare that they never turn up. The distribution of comics in the 1950s and uh, the late 40s and into the early 50s was really sporadic. So there was, you know, like you could be in Pennsylvania and, and see not not see any comics at all that are in Chicago. And then you could be in, 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 in Nashville and, and see books that aren't available in Chicago. It was really, really sporadic. And wow. every time these guys have every comic. It was 5,000 issues that these brothers collected. Wow. And they're in, and they're, and they're in mid condition. I mean, this collection is probably going to sell for, I mean, if they were just $1,000 a piece, it'd be $5 million. I mean, we're looking at, there's books in there worth, you know, $200,000, $300,000. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's probably going to sell for $25 million or so. And, wow. And, but that same family could have simply you know looked at all this stuff and said oh these brothers you know right little you know, they're so quirky but yeah right let's just give them away to the kids down the block or let's um you know but but you know that's rare now because there's so much publicity about comics being right. valued. but but it still does happen or they would have taken them to a local comic shop and the guy goes well i'll give you ten dollars a piece <laughs> is that what you yeah. used to do gary is that what you used to do <laughs> <laughs> but you know, at ten dollars a piece, that'd be you know fifty grand. You know, yeah. so so you know, but fifty grand isn't twenty five million. So yeah, no. 
Well, so it, it's it's amazing what's going on out in this hobby that the prices are exploding. You know, it's just crazy. I've been doing this for, you know, really since 1975, and I have never seen anything like the, the market that it is now. It's being driven by all these, you know, GameStop and uh, AMC stock manipulators. It's being driven by uh, NFTs. It's being driven by tech people that are so wealthy it's being driven by athletes who uh, are you know using their um uh, the intellectual property that comes with their baseball cards and basketball cards and stuff i mean you know when a lebron james card sells for five million dollars I mean, he's still playing Right. <laughs> you know, he's not, oh, even yeah. in, not even in the Hall of Fame yeah. yet. He's still playing. <laughs> he sells for five million dollars. I mean, it goes to. I mean, that's not a collector, right? Like, you know, that's some that's some wealthy guy who is hoping to. He's a speculator who's hoping to to benefit from from this. Um, it's 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 just crazy. It really is. Well, I've got about I've got about a dozen Mad magazines from the seventies. Can I retire or no? Well, if you have, I think it's number, I think it's number seventy-eight, where uh, Alfred E. Newman is uh, in pink. Uh, well, there's pink uh, marijuana uh, leaves all around him, and it's turn on, tune in, drop dead. That okay. comic, that comic isn't worth anything except to me. Okay. <laughs> okay. You know what? I got it. Ten million bucks. Send me, send me ten million bucks, and I'll give it to you. It, it is. It was. It was created for for uh, you know uh, hippies back in those days uh, to kind of just enjoy 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 it when they were high. I think that's probably the best. Before we continue any further with Manishman Celebrity Interview, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. I'm Howard Sudbury, and I'm Steve Baskerville. On back to you, Steve is going to quiz me about. Who knows what? I know you have strong opinions about things. I have strong opinions about things as well. We're going to see if most people agree with our strong opinion. Or if we agree with one another, which we seldom do. Or if this promo ever ends. (laughs) (laughs) That's on Back to You. Back to You with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. You can find Back to You on Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. I'm Rick Kempfer. I'm Adam Howitt. And we're the co-hosts of Free Kicks, a show about international and particularly English Premier League soccer. On an all-new Free Kicks. This week we discussed the Panenka. Plus my favorite feature, guess the Premier League star. Listen to Free Kicks on Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. And because it's football, try doing it without using your hands. Back to our guest on Minutia Men Celebrity Interview. Well, thank you for being on the show. This has been a really interesting conversation. I, I, I was at your store in the 70s because I lived in Mount Prospect at that time, too. And I remember it fondly. And I did hear your radio show. And it's kind of a it's I got to say, it's kind of a thrill to have you on. And I'm going to give you one more shot here before we say goodbye to plug where people can sell you stuff or where they can see all of your stuff. Go to MoondogBuysComics.com. If you're on Facebook, we have a Facebook page, Moondog Buys Comics. And um, and you'll just have a lot of fun uh, there. And, and since, Rick, since you're an old Moondogger, 
as we refer to our old <laughs> customers. You know, it's a place to go to let people know that you're still alive and that you're still collecting. And then, you know, go ahead and make a post and say, hi, uh, it's Rick and uh, from the Minutia Men. And, you know, thanks uh, for uh, having that store, Moondock. <laughs> I, I will do that. Uh, th- thanks, Gary. Thank you, Rick. Take have, care. Have Bye, all right. Well, that's it for this week's edition of the Minutia Men Celebrity Interview. Special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasano with opishows.com. Opi is hippo backwards. O-P-P-I-H shows.com. Distributed by Ed Silla from the Radio Misfits. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. And we'll be back again next week with another edition of Minutia Men Celebrity Interview. This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. The proceeding was a presentation of OPI Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Opi Productions. Tony, can you shut up? Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, it's Corvairs, micro and mini cars, and more with special guest Larry Claypool. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and Luke Hostable for this very special episode of the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, an Opi production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Rick Kempfer. And I'm Dave Stern. And we're the hosts of Minutia Men Podcast, where we talk about things like... An Australian with an Irish accent? Transylvanian stand-up. Hey, dumb Kansas City criminals. All that in unlimited tangents. Listen to Minutia Men on Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts, just search for Radio Misfits.